Mark 2, verse 23. I want to share a, uh, a quote from last week that, uh, that I meant to share but forgot, but I think it, it'll help color our conversation this morning. It's from Pastor Timothy Keller. He's a pastor out in New York, theologian, author. He says this. He says, If Christ did not rise from the dead, then why worry about anything that he said? But if Christ did raise from the dead, then you must accept everything that he said. Okay? So in other words, if he's still dead, then let's take everything he said and just, you know what, there's no purpose. Because he's dead. He didn't actually fulfill the promises he said he was going to, and so there's no need to listen. But if he did, if he did race, if he did defeat death, then it has massive implications in how we interpret everything else he's ever said. We have to give it credibility. And so as we step into a text today, which is somewhat confusing, it's going to draw on a lot of Old Testament scripture, other Old Testament ideas. It has application for us today, okay? So Mark 2, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to have people come down to be the interns. or bring you a Bible. I want you to follow along. Nobody today? Are you just being shy? There we go. There's one. Anybody else? Follow along, Bibles. Okay. What I want to do as we enter into this is because we've been away from Mark for a couple weeks now, Easter, Good Friday, we're back now, is to kind of give us a quick recap of Mark. And this is because Mark is a narrative, it's a gospel, it's a story, and it really fits in together. And so you don't just take one part of a movie and rewatch the same part of the movie over, or you've got to watch the whole thing to get the whole story of anything. And so I want to start back in Mark chapter 1, and what I'm going to do, if you've ever opened up your Bible, you'll notice that there's bold words at the top of certain passages that say, this is what the next few passages will be about. And so I'm going to talk just in the bold ones, maybe give a little commentary just to give us some information. But Mark chapter 1 starts off with John the Baptist prepares the way. So you've got this guy, John the Baptist, who was foretold he would be the one that would come before Jesus, before the Savior, and say, there is someone coming. He has arrived. It is the Messiah. So open up your eyes, repent, and be baptized to know Jesus. Okay? The next one was the baptism of Jesus himself. He goes, gets baptized. The heavens open up. God speaks down, says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, as a dove descends, being the Holy Spirit upon Christ. Okay? That was two. Three, the temptation of Jesus. Jesus, after his baptism, moves in. The inauguration of his ministry has happened. He goes to the desert, is tempted for 40 days by Satan, and wins. Okay? Never sins, lives perfectly, doesn't deny Christ, doesn't leave his mission behind. Next, we've got Jesus begins his ministry. Okay, so he leaves this temptation, moves in, begins preaching to different people. Then he calls his first disciples. Okay, you got Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The first four, all fishermen, didn't make sense that he would choose them because they were not significant men of influence. But he said, these are my guys. This is who I want. Beginning this calling, come and follow me call that still rests on everyone today to follow Jesus. Then he goes on. Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit, and Jesus heals many. In his ministry, not only is there proclamation, but there's demonstration. He is healing people with the power of God to show, I am God, this is who I am, and the kingdom of God has arrived. Moving on, he has Jesus preaches in Galilee, goes around telling people about this kingdom. Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus heals a paralytic. Again, flaunting not just that there's the power of God, but that he is God. Because as he cleanses a leper, as he heals this paralytic, we see in this story two times where Jesus does something that only God should do, only God could do, and Jesus does them showing everyone in the watching world, I am God, I am his son, I am here, I am the Messiah, so listen up. The next one is Jesus calls Levi, which is probably the biggest calling up to this point, and maybe when you think about the implications of what it meant for him to call this guy, maybe in history, 
This guy was an enemy of the Jewish people, a guy who had, was a traitor, a Benedict Arnold, the guy that you would not want to have in your crew, Jesus invites in, showing us there is nothing that we have. There's nothing in our lives that would ever cause Jesus Christ, our Savior, ever say, I don't want you to follow. There's nothing. And so we have that peace, we have that assurance, we can always run to him and his throne. And then last week, when Anthony preached two weeks ago, was a question about fasting. What Jesus was doing was, in this moment, the first half of a two-part mini-series here, of introducing, I'm doing something new. Right? That, that, that there's all of this Old Testament tradition and law, and it's good, and we're going to talk about it, but I'm doing something new with this. There's new information. There's a, there's a new way to see it. I am here, and so let's look through the lens of Christ and the gospel and not through law in the Old Testament, okay? And so he's doing that again today in the second kind of part of supporting this idea, I'm doing something new, and we're talking about the issue of the Sabbath. Now, when I first started looking at what we'd be preaching, I thought, man, the Sabbath will be a weird thing to preach on the week after Easter, Because Easter is a story everyone knows about. Everyone knows the details. And then Sabbath is kind of this weird word that maybe you've heard somewhere. Or maybe some of you know a little more about it. But the reality is it's not something that often gets talked about. But here's the truth. I I said this to the the prayer team this morning. There might not be a better thing to talk about today in light of what happened on Friday and Sunday. And we're going to see why. But I, I, I don't know if there's a better thing for us to truly rest in than this text in this passage based on what we believe happened on Friday and Sunday. Okay? This idea that Christ has defeated death, okay? that he's conquered death, that he's raised to give us new life, that all of this then gives us a rest and a Sabbath that the Old Testament Israelites had to strive for every year over and over and over that we get to have 24-7 all the time because of him. Okay? So it's a little strange to talk about, but I think it's going to be really good for us. And here's what I'm going to do as we start off. I want to give you kind of the thrust of where we're going today right in the beginning. And the way I want to do it is from a reading from uh, a little, a little uh, sermon thing that John Piper, a pastor up in, uh, in Minneapolis, did. And, and it just blew my mind the first time I read it. And he's talking about sleep specifically, but the thrust and the, and the heart of what he's getting, I think, applies to what we want to talk about today. And I think it will give us kind of a foundation in, in a somewhat ambiguous topic, okay? So here we go. Piper says this, I sit, and this is at 3 a.m. Guy wakes up at 3 a.m., and the Lord's teaching him. And he says this, I sit on the edge of my bed trying to develop a theology of sleep. Why did God design us to need sleep? We sleep a third of our lives. Just think of it. A third of our lives spent like dead men. Just think of everything being left undone that could have been done had God designed us to not need sleep. There's surely no doubt that he could have created us with no need for sleep. And just think, everyone could devote himself to two careers and not feel tired. Everyone could be a full-time Christian worker and still keep his job. There's so much of the Father's business we could be about. Why did God imagine sleep? He never sleeps. He thought of the idea about of nothing. He thought it up for his earthly creatures, but why? Psalm 127 says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved. According to this text, sleep is a gift of love, and the gift is often spurned by anxious toil. Peaceful sleep is, is the opposite of anxiety. God does not want his children to be anxious, but to trust in him. Therefore, I conclude that God made sleep as a continual reminder that we should not be ang- anxious, but should rest in him. Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Sleep is a parable that God is God and we are mere men. 
God handles, handles the world quite nicely while a hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Don't let the lesson be lost in you. God wants us, wants us wants to be trusted as a great worker who never tires and never sleeps. He is not nearly so impressed with our late nights and early mornings as he is with the peaceful trust that casts all anxieties and fears on him. And so I, I just love this idea. I can, and he just got it 3 a.m. At 3 a.m., I can't think of anything other than how do I find the restroom? I mean, it's just like, I'm going to trip, right? And this guy gets this, and this is, this is profound to me. Because you do think about it. A third of our life, you're sleeping. Like at the end of the day, if you live for 90 years, you will have spent 30 years asleep. It's incredible, okay? Now, some of you college students are like, well, I only sleep four hours. Well, that will change, okay? Trust me. You spend a third of your life asleep. Why is this? And I love what he said. Maybe God intentionally is just trying to continually remind us we're not him. We're not sovereign. We can't control everything the way we want to. We need not be anxious. We need not toil. We need not fret. We need not fear. We need not live in this constant circle of having to prove ourselves any longer because God, because God is sovereign, because God is sovereign, because God is sovereign. And this is the idea behind Sabbath. This is what Jesus will try and teach the Pharisees today, and hopefully we will learn also. Okay? God is sovereign. We are not. Let us rest and cast anxiety upon him. So let's do this. Old Testament, what is Sabbath? Okay, it originates in the creation story. So in in Genesis chapter 1, seven days of creation, six days God works, speaks everything to existence. On the seventh day, it says he rests. And so that is the origin of the Sabbath. It gets instituted in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. Let me read. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So its origin is here. Now, It's also meant to ground the people of God, meant to ground Israel. So as it's being applied to them in Old Testament Israel, it's being applied that they would ground it in two things. One, the creation story, but then two, God's choosing and deliverance of Israel from Egypt. In other words, the purpose of the Sabbath, even in the Old Testament, was always to point the people of God back to God. Was to give them to say... Take your time, slow down, and think of me and what I've done. I created the world, and I took you out of slavery and bondage and brought you into the promised land. Remember this story, because in it you will find joy. The Sabbath has always been for this, but continuing on, a couple more verses. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and your Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. He also thought it was very important because in Exodus 31, 12 through 14, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. And everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. So God took this really, really seriously. 
God took this really, really seriously. And you're thinking to yourself, man, that, that just seems kind of weird. You, so you're saying, I can, you don't want me to go and grab some food because that would be work and you'll kill me because of it. That just seems kind of crazy. But then when we peel back the layers and realize the entire purpose of the Sabbath was to allow the Jew to remember God created this world and God delivered and saved you. There is more joy in there than anything else you could possibly do today. And that is true for the people of God from then until now, every single day for us always to remember this reality. And so God instituted the Sabbath in the Old Testament for that purpose. And we're going to look at today is this, this, this battle, if you will, between Jesus and between the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish community, who were saying, wait a minute, no, the, the, the Sabbath is more about the law. It, it, it's, it's more about doing it right. It's more about not messing up. And Jesus keep pounding them and saying, no, 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 it's about me. It's about God. It's about relationship. And we're going to show, hopefully, in just a second here, that we still tend and trend to live in a reality that we still try and work for it. That we still are living kind of these law-based lives. And here's why I believe it. I think there's a couple things about why we should really care about this. Say, one, there's going to be big implications. We'll look at that. But the second thing is I think we've taken this truth and we've made a lot of idols out of it. Two major ones. We've made an idol out of rest. We've made an idol out of busyness. So the first one, rest. Now, rest in and of itself is a fantastic thing. Everyone enjoys a good rest. Whatever form you can get it, rest. What happens, though, is that when we idolize rest, when rest becomes the idol, all it really does is lead to sloth and laziness. When rest is an idol for us, it's truly, at its heart, it's really slothfulness and laziness. This leads to bad stewardship of the resources God's given us. So when we sit in this reality of, okay, well, rest is, I just, I just need to rest, and, and this is the focus, and this is the focus, instead of God, and what he might, what happens is it becomes laziness, and then we're bad stewards of what God has given you. Your time, your money, your resources, your intellect, your gifts. See, and then you begin to operate in this, well, I'm not going to do that, I need to rest. But wait a minute, well, there's... You're supposed to be using your gifts. You're supposed to be using your time to, to bless others, to love your neighbor, to give glory to God. And so we can easily, as we idolize rest in our culture, I think we can easily trend and make this a really bad thing. There's a, uh, I don't know if people, anybody have Hulu Plus? Anybody have that? It's phenomenal. You should get it. So we watch a good amount of Hulu. I'm addicted to The Voice. And uh, you anybody watch that? Yeah? This is The Voice, right? Um, I was on it a couple seasons ago. And uh, no, good show, right? But anyway, so in between, though, about every 15 minutes, they'll have a commercial, okay? And, and with Hulu, it's like one company pays for the whole show, right? And so it's just the same commercial over and over and over and over. And the voice is an hour and a half, so you have to watch the same commercial like six or seven or eight times. And so uh, last season, there was a commercial by Expedia. If you don't know Expedia, Expedia is a travel company you can book online, okay? And... Uh, the commercial was they were going around the streets, and I think it was New York or Boston or some city, and they were asking people, they said, hey, they hold out the microphone, they say, hey, we'll take you and send you on any trip you want to go on anywhere in the world right now, you just have to go, right? You just got to go right now. And people are like, ah, you know, I can't, I got, I got this, and da-da-da, and, and I, ah, you know, that'd be, that'd be fun, I wish, I just can't do it. And then it gets finally to this one single guy, and he just happens to be the most handsome guy, just so they can throw that out there. Uh, and so he, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And so he goes and he flies to China, and they picture, they, they, you know, they film his vacation, and it just looks fantastic. 
And you get to the end of this thing, and I'm watching, I'm thinking, man, so the, the rule here, or, or the takeaway is, it's way better to be the guy who at any moment could give up his responsibility to go and just be free. Because what gets kind of subtly thrown under the bus here is the man who says, you know what, I want to, and this is a word for it, man, I, you know, I, I love that, but I have to work. They're like, oh, you gotta work. Why? Or, or, or the family that says, oh, I'd love to, but I have to take care of my kids, right? And, and again, they kind of get shoved under. It's like, well, that's not cool. That's not fun. Be the free guy who doesn't have to think about work, who can just think about leisure. And so what I think subtly what our culture has done is constantly created this thing in you and in me that as we watch and we take in all this, it's like, okay, what is to be heralded and celebrated is have your own time. Be free. Rest whenever you want. Be completely carefree. Care about nothing and do whatever you want. And so that's one. That's one idol. The other one is busyness. I think we idolize busyness. So if you were to go around the room, and and I talk about this a lot here, that when I sit down and meet with a lot of you, or I even just ask in passing, I mean, hey, how's it going? How's life? Ah, just busy. I'm just busy, 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 busy. And I said, really? Like, what's going on? You know? And they share some stuff, and, and some are more busy than others. But that's always, that just seems to be this, this, if I want people to know, I want people to value what I do with my time, I want people to know I'm busy. Because heaven forbid, I would be resting. Heaven forbid, I would be recharging my batteries. Heaven forbid, they would know that I need to take time for myself to remember this world's not about me. But instead, the answer in our culture often is, I'm just so busy, man. I'm just so and honestly, whether it's the reality for your life or not, that becomes the thing we always herald. But the reality of busyness is that when idolized, it's truly just pride and self-dependence. It's truly just pride and self-dependence. You're saying, okay, I need to fill my schedule to find value. Or I need to do everything because if I don't, it won't get done. Or, as in the Christian context, I need to do all the ministry... I need to sell, I need to die on the church altar. I need to do everything for the church. Otherwise, God won't save my friend. Insert whatever thing it is that you think it's on you to do God's work. It's on God to do God's work. We're just, we try and not mess up along the way. So we easily take busyness. We make it an idol. It becomes pride. It becomes self, uh, self-dependence, which leads to faithlessness. You see, when we make it continually about us, when it's all about what we can do, what we can earn, what we can strive, what we deserve, how much hours we pour in, what we've done for God, what we've done for our family, on and on and on, when you prove a checklist, all of a sudden, you don't think about God anymore and faith is distant because you're your own savior. And so it's trying to find this balance and this is what God's trying to get at. It's saying, listen, no, rest is good, but don't make it more than me. Busyness is good. Work hard. Work heartily unto the Lord. Whatever, or Ezekiel, whatever your hand finds for you to do, do it with all your might. But don't put it above me. Okay. And we're going to find Jesus is the true rest, and we're coming to that. And that's the last reason I think we really need to pay attention this morning as we struggle through these things and seek to be faithful to the gospel and to Jesus. So finally, that was the intro. Mark 2, verse 23. It's a good intro. It says this one Sabbath, first story. There's going to be two stories. First story. 
Mark 2, 23, one Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And so you've got Jesus and his guys, and they were hungry. And so they're walking through this field. I picture a field of dreams, right? Walking through this field, they get hungry. They pluck some grain. They eat of it to give them sustenance. And of course, as always, the Pharisees just happen to be awkwardly lurking around and happen to be there. Like, you notice that, like, you read the, you read the market, like, what is, what did they do? Like, did they have nothing else to do? Like, they're always there. Very awkward. Very stranger danger. And, uh, and so this, and so this is Jesus' response to them. Verse 25, he says, and he said to them, have you ever read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, I don't know, some of that, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And so Jesus, again, always with an answer, knowing full well what these guys are thinking, says, hey, but what about the time? And he's being very uh, satirical here. He says, hey, have you read this? Of course they've read it. They're the, uh, if you don't know, the Pharisees are the religious leaders. They've read the Torah. They've read the Old Testament. They know it all. And so when he says, have you read this? Of course they have. Of course they have. They know this story. So they know that he's referencing 1 Samuel 21. 1 Samuel 21, when David and his men, they're walking around and they get hungry. And so they go into the temple and they eat this manna, this food that was reserved for priests alone, which was a crazy idea. But God does not smite them. God does not smote them. God does not take them down. And says, do you not remember that moment? And so what, God, what Christ, what Jesus is pointing to in this moment is, guess what? There are times, guess what? Where for the people of God, the need, the need trumps the religious way that you're viewing the Sabbath, okay? That need trumps the law in God's economy, okay? And so let's, why is that? Okay, verse 27, he said, because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even Lord of the Sabbath. And, and this verse for me was just like, wow, that brings some clarity. Because what was happening is, is the Pharisees were operating under this idea that, that, that they were made for the Sabbath. That they were finding what value in obeying the Sabbath. That they thought they were better followers of God because they kept the Sabbath to a T. They were taking this thing and they were living for it rather than it living for them. The Sabbath is out there to serve you, to point us to God, to give us joy, to remind us of the great story of God redeeming and restoring a broken creation. And so he's like, this, this is what you're doing, do you see? You're, you're acting as if I created the Sabbath. Like, I, I did this just so that you guys would have something to do. No, I, I did it so that You'd be blessed with an opportunity to consistently pull back, rest, and understand what I've done for you. Okay. And then he goes on and he just says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord. I I control the Sabbath. I invented the Sabbath. This is my thing. I have a vision for the Sabbath. When I was a little kid, we were on the East Coast uh, visiting some family. We went to the beach. And I remember this vividly. And it's funny. I don't know why this is the story that popped in my mind. But um, I'm sitting on the beach. And, and like any kid, right, I was like, I'm going to make a sandcastle. And so I go. And, I, you know, you take the bucket. 
you fill it up with sand, you flip it upside down, it's got the ridges and stuff, you're like, I just built a castle, this is fantastic, right? You build the moat around there, there's water, there's a bridge, Um, and and so I'm really excited about my castle. This kid comes over, and I don't know who he is, and he says, hey, you know, hey, can I help build, you know, can I, can I have, you know, play with you and whatever? And I was like, yeah, because at the time, seemed like a nice kid. Turned out to be a devil, okay? Uh, This kid just slowly starts knocking over my stuff, okay? Taking his own bucket and building his own castle, okay? And I'm I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, okay? Mm Mm-mm. And so no joke, I get up and I kick the kid in the shin. Bam! (laughs) Kid runs away. I get yelled at, okay? And and this this sounds silly, but this is the story that pops in my head. I kid you not. I had a vision for that castle. I, I, no, I remember looking and saying, okay, I'm going to go, there's going to be one here and here and here. They're going to have the four. There's going to be like the rooks on a, a chessboard, right? And then there's going to be, there's gonna be like here and there's gonna be a bridge and there's a moat. And it's, I had this whole picture of it. And then this guy came in and he takes my vision, reorients it for his own will, and ticks me off. And so we've done that with the Sabbath, Okay? Like, we've done that, not just with this, we've done that with so many of the commands of God, things that God has said. I have a vision for what this will be for your life, and it will be better than anything. Just, just live in what I've given you. And yet we take it and we manipulate and say, well, this is better for me. I like it this way. And then we miss the point of why God gave it to us in the first place. That's what we've done with the Sabbath. That's what the Pharisees have done with the Sabbath. That's what we do with the Sabbath rest that is offered anytime you idolize rest or idolize busyness. Anytime that you have toil and anxiety and fear, you're forgetting about the God that created the universe and delivered you from Satan, sin, and death. We've taken something he's given and we've distorted it. We've given it a new vision. And so what Jesus is trying to do for these people, for the Pharisees, and for those watching, and for us today, is to reorient our vision to see clearly what does it mean to rest in Christ and not jump into the rest that is offered by the world. Okay. So let's keep going on the story. Story two, actually. Mark 3, verse 1 says, Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And so again, you have this picture. Jesus walks in the synagogue, sees a man with a withered hand. Again, the awkward Pharisees are lurking. How are you here again? Right? Like, how did, how did you do that? And there they are. And, they're, and you just kind of picture it. They're like peeking behind a pillar. Like this. You know what I mean? Just, and you've got this group of them, and they're just always there. And then, what are they doing? They're trying to catch Jesus again. Here's what I love. Here's what I love about this. They saw the man with the withered hand, and they saw Jesus, and they quickly put these things together. You know what? Jesus will have compassion. Jesus is powerful, and so Jesus is going to go heal this guy. I I love that they recognize that about Jesus, that there was no, they already knew beforehand what to look for because they knew how compassionate Jesus was, that he would feel for this man with the withered hand, that his heart would break for this man with the withered hand. And they also knew he was powerful and that he could heal. They knew that he could heal out of that compassion. And so it's so funny. They're just kind of lurking, and they're like, okay, well, the way we're going to catch him is by seeing him do something fantastic. <laughs> but the whole time scheming in their hearts, how do we tear this guy down? Okay, and so here's what Jesus does. Here's what he does. 
And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, okay? So, so he, he calls to the man with the withered hand, come here. Before he does anything else, he looks to the side, right? So he's, and, and you just picture the Pharisees like scatter. Like, oh, God, oh, right? Like one guy's tying his shoe, like, hey, 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 just tie my shoe. No big deal. And they just scatter because he just, he just does this. He's like, come here. Ah! And he says this. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And she's before he, before he heals this guy. And you just knew he was going to do it. Like, we just, you just knew. You knew Jesus was, you didn't even need to read the next verse. You just knew, we know Jesus. We know his compassion, his love, and his heart. And I just want to remind us, I think it's so obvious to us as we read this story, you knew he was going to heal the guy. You just knew he was going to come through. And yet all of us live so many of our days and so many of our moments of our life in doubt that he will come through. But he will. Every single time. Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath and he is risen. He is risen again. What did I say before I was going to do? <laughs> Dang it! Ruined it. That thing, right? Still alive. Because of that reality, okay? We can be assured. Okay? We can be assured. And so he says, listen, here's, here's the deal, guys. I'm, I'm going to heal this guy, and, and you need to pay attention to this. Is it, is, it, is it okay for me to heal, to do good, or to do bad, to, to save, or to kill? Which one is, is lawful? And here's the reality for the Pharisees. And when they would have heard this question, the answer to them would have been, well, neither. You're not supposed to do either of these. Like, you're, you're, you're supposed, you, you, should, you should just be worshiping. You should just be sitting here, not talking, just doing nothing. Their answer would have been, don't do either. Jesus, Jesus' answer is to do good. Jesus' answer is to save. And here's how we know this, and this is the privilege that we have living 2,000 years post-Jesus, okay? is in Mark chapter 12, when asked and confronted about the law, what is the most important of the law? Jesus responds in chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so, G- amen, right? So Jesus, in this moment, he's saying, okay, I'm going to sum up everything. You want to know what the law is about? You want to know what's most important? You want to know what the Old Testament, what all of it points to is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And love your neighbor. Pour into your neighbor. Save your neighbor. Care for your neighbor. Invest in your neighbor. Be there for your neighbor. And so Jesus, rewind back to Mark chapter 3 here. So when he says, hey, what's lawful for me to do? The answer is to do good, to save. Because the purpose of the law, the purpose of everything that we can read it, and everything that we can come into with the Old Testament, everything points to these two things, summed up in love God, love people. And so surely on the Sabbath, the purpose is not just to shrink away and do nothing, is not just to never work, is not to any of the regulations of the Old Testament that we could go through, but it's to love God, remember the story that he's accomplished, the the feat that he's accomplished on our behalf, and to love other people. 
to care for other people, to serve other people. It's both and. Okay, it's both and. And that is an incredibly freeing understanding of the Sabbath. Incredibly freeing understanding of the Sabbath. So um, let's wrap it up with verse 6 here. Excuse me. It says, The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. This is a turning point in the ministry of Christ. See, for the first six or seven weeks we've been going, he's been doing some stuff, and it's been kind of shaking the foundation of the culture a little bit. But this is the moment where it turns, and there's now, we're going to get him. Like, not, not just that we want to discredit him, not that we just want to get people to think he's not that great or that he's not that great of a prophet or he's not a good teacher or that some of his teachings are wrong. We want to destroy Jesus. And it happens here in this incredible moment of confrontation with those who would say, no, it's about law, it's about proving yourself, it's about earning it. And Jesus is saying, no, no, it's about grace, it's about love, it's about remembering you cannot do it on your own. I've done it for you. Have faith in me. And he, <laughs> he's about to die for it. And, and this is the moment where they say, we're going to get together. And here's just kind of a funny nugget for you. The Herodians, not friends to the Jews. Okay, the Herodians worked for Herod. Herod was a Roman official. These guys were against the Jews. And here's what the Jewish religious leaders do. They say, you know what? We've got to find a way. So let's go to the enemy and together we'll find a way to kill this guy. The great lengths with which we'll go to prove ourselves. Okay. And so th- this, this is the Sabbath. This is what is talked about. So the question, I guess, for us as we wrap up is, should we, should we Sabbath? Should we celebrate the Sabbath? And the answer is Yes. The answer is yes. But it isn't, I don't think, it's not a, hey, work for six days and rest on the seventh. And in that day of rest, don't do anything that involves any type of work. I think rather the Sabbath rest that is offered to the people of God today is a Sabbath rest that exists at all times forever. I want you to think of it this way. If on the way out, and I I honestly was like, I wonder if we could pull this off. And I thought, no. But... So just think in your mind, if when you left today, I gave you an enormous stone, okay? And I said, hey, you, you got to carry this. You got to carry this thing wherever you go, okay? And you're just walking, the back starts to hurt, the knees start to hurt, you give out, you're sweating, the whole deal. And I say, okay, you can, you can put it down for a little while, but you're going to have to pick it up again. Okay? You're going to have to pick up the rock again. Yeah, you can take a little rest, that's fine. Take a little rest, but you're going to pick it up again. You're going to keep walking. And then I'll tell you later, yeah, you know what? You can put it down again right now. Once you get a little rest and then pick that sucker up, you've got to keep walking. How restful is that resting moment? It's not. Because you know what's coming. You know that in just a moment, you've got to pick that sucker back up and you've got to keep walking. And the burden is still heavy and on you. Rested on your shoulders, rested on your arms, the pain in your back, the pain in your mind, the grueling nature of having to do that activity. Maybe you get a little rest every once in a while, but you have to pick the rock up again. If you've been in sports at all, if you ever had to do suicides, you guys remember those? You guys remember su- Yeah, okay. Right? Satan. Um, you do a suicide, and your coach is like, I'm like, how many of these are we doing? He's like, you'll know when I tell you, you know, or something. I go, why are you so mean? Just give me a number. 
you know. But you just keep running them. And honestly, that little break in between them until you know, okay, we're going to be done. That's just terrifying. Okay. Here's what, here's what Jesus is offering to you guys. Here's what Jesus offers the world today. Is hey, you know that rock that you've been carrying? Not just put it down on the ground. I want you to take that rock. I want you to place it on my back and strap it tight. I mean, cinch that sucker on there. Take your boulder, take your burden, put it, put it on me. And you know what? I'm just going to walk with you wherever you want to go. That's what's offered to you every single day is to enter into that rest, to take the burden, to take the anxiety, to take the toil, to take the fear, and you put it on the shoulders of Christ where he has already died for it, where he has taken his burden, he has given you his, which is light. And he will walk with you wherever you go with your boulder strapped to his back. That's the gospel. Hebrews, Hebrews, where is it? Hebrews 4, 6 through 13 says this. Since therefore, and he's talking about the rest of God. He says, since therefore it remains for some to enter this rest. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Talking about before he was written, the people who rejected Christ. Verse 7. Again he appoints a certain day. Today. Today is the day. Saying through David so long after, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, a man of the Old Testament, had given the people of God rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains today a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his when he declared from the cross, it is finished. Let us therefore strive to enter this rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom, whom we must give account. And so today, here, enter into the rest that God has offered. Do not be disobedient. Do not flee. Do not say, no, not yet. Just enter into the rest that has been offered. And enter into it willingly and joyfully because you take your burden and cast it upon him. There is Sabbath. There is rest for the people of God today. Amen? And so here's the things I'd like for you guys to do. I'd like for you to rest. Right? I mean, that's... But really rest. And, that, and some of you, listen, some of you guys really do live busy lives and you work a lot of hours, and you've got families, and you've got kids, or you've got a lot of friends. A lot of you guys are doing ministry on your campus. You've got a lot of, I get that. Some of you are really, really busy. Praise God that the rest doesn't come in the physical. That stuff's nice too. I enjoy a good nap, right? But the rest that is offered is available at all times as you can cast any of the fear, anxiety, and toil upon him. And so enter into that as you go today, okay? That being said, Don Carson has this quote, sometimes the godliest thing you can do in the universe is to get a good night's sleep. Not to pray all night, but to sleep. And I think he's right. Some of you guys just need to take, like some of you guys need eight hours. Some of you guys need 12. Okay, I was talking to you earlier. Okay. Just go and get, get some rest. Some, some of you need to say no to some activities at night. And I know a lot of you college, it's probably hard for you college students, for all the parents in the room, y'all are like, we're not going out. You know what I mean? 
But for you, I mean, hey, say no to some stuff and get some sleep. God's intentionally done it. God made you sleep, and so get some and enjoy it. And then in the midst of it, remember that he's the one who provides. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. He is sovereign. And the last one, which we're getting ready to do in Psalm 92, if you look in Psalm 92, right underneath, it says, a song for the Sabbath. And it's a song of praise, a song of declaring the great works of God and that which he has done in the world. And so we're going to have the band come back up and we're going to sing a few more songs this morning. And so part of rest, part of the Sabbath for the people of God was to sing songs, to rejoice because God has accomplished what they could not. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank God that, uh, well, thank you so much for this text this week because I am very bad at resting and I have created an idol out of busyness. God, I found value in just doing a lot of stuff. I found value in people thinking that I do a lot of stuff. So Lord, I confess and repent and God asks that today would be a day of transformation. God, of freedom of acknowledgement that you've accomplished everything necessary and so I need not fear or toil. God, I pray for any of the people in the room that have a similar story, that God, you'd free them from those trappings of this world as well. That they would see clear the gospel and that they could breathe deep the story and the majesty and the work that you've done. God, I pray that you would teach us what it means because it, it's so weird. Sometimes, how, do, how do I give you the stone on my back? How do I remain faithful? How do I cast it on you? God, teach us what that looks like more and more. But God, just give us greater vision for what you've done. God, might you provide time for these people, for myself, God, to rest. Time to slow down. Time that we just couldn't make excuse. God, that in it, there would be much reflection on your story, much reflection on the gospel, much rejoicing because of what you've done. God, for those of us maybe in the room who've gone the other direction, made an idol out of rest, God, and just kind of just think that you do not call us to work, that there is nothing valuable in that. There is a skirting of a responsibility in our culture that is not okay, Lord. I pray, God, for repentance and confession there as well. And so, God, lead us. Save us. Show us more of yourself that, God, we would, not only would we just do that, that we just want to do this, we would desire the rest that you offer. And so, I, Lord, I actually just want to pray for any of you who are here today that, God, they don't, or at least they showed up, or I, wherever they're at, God, if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, God, that they would hear your, your voice calling them into the rest that is offered. Calling them to, to let go of anything that this world says is going to bring about joy and peace. God, instead that they would embrace the calling that you've given them, God, to cast their burdens upon you, to trust in you, to trust on you, God, for the grace and the faith and the love necessary that in your sacrifice, the only sacrifice that ever need be done, that there be rest eternal, God, that that would be their truth today. And so God, bless us as we respond now. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.